The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Interesting just uh, keeping track of the testimony uh, today. And again, Elizabeth May had asked uh, Wernick if... Um, Specifically, did you do any study to assess the job losses that would result from SNC prosecution? And his answer was no. And of course, Michael Wernick is the Privy Council clerk who had testified once and then he uh, on, the, on the stand again today. So Elizabeth May asking him, did you do any study to assess the job losses that would result from SNC prosecution? And Wernick said no. So um, we're going to play a couple clips from Gerald Butts from his testimony today. Uh, I thought we'd start with this one. This was uh, his answer, uh, the response of Jody Wilson-Raybould, her response to being shuffled. There was a long pause on the phone. Minister Wilson-Raybould said that she was, quote, a little bit shocked, unquote, because Mojag was, quote, her dream job. She said, IS is not my dream job. I'm not going to lie about that. The Prime Minister said, I know it is not your dream job, but it is core to this government's mission. Minister Wilson-Raybould said, quote, I feel I'm being shifted out of justice for other reasons. The Prime Minister replied that he was, he was doing the shuffle because he had to and because he thinks it's the best thing for the government and the country. He repeated that he wouldn't be doing it at all if it weren't for Minister Bryson's departure. He said when you lose a team member, everyone else has to pitch in. The call concluded. Then Minister Wilson-Raybould did something I didn't expect. I had never seen anyone do it before in 13 shuffles over many years. The former Attorney General turned down a cabinet portfolio. She said she couldn't do it for the reason that she had spent her life opposed to the Indian Act and couldn't be in charge of programs administered under its authority. And Gerald Butts went on to say, if I'm, if I remember absolutely clearly, he went on to say at that point that he should have realized that he should have known that, and he takes responsibility for that. So curious to know, mm-hmm. has today's testimony, as Gerald Butts tells his side of the story, has it changed your opinion on what has happened? I think it's offered. Obviously, it's offered another side, and we said this after last week. It wanted to hear both sides. Mm -hmm. I still think that there needs to be an investigation. The conversation that we just had with Sheila Copps and the testimony that I've seen from Butts, I will tell you, has solidified my opinion. What's that? The, The Prime Minister acted incorrectly here, in my opinion. And the Liberals are now doing damage control, and they're using distraction as their as their tool. And I, and I don't think for a moment Sheila Copps can claim to no longer be involved in politics, but she's towing the company line. And she didn't like it when I suggested she was, or you suggested, one of us suggested she was towing the company line. She yeah, didn't like it. She yeah. got angry. And she didn't like being challenged on whether or not the, this she's whole narrative she's was been a out distraction. Of it for 14 years. Right, yeah. right. I don't think a deputy prime minister is ever out of politics, let's be honest. No, <laughs> no. I mean, no. over uh, a couple of texts, because the question is, has anything today changed your opinion? Here's some texts that we received. Uh, Cops is trying to steer the narrative away from the liberal corruption to Jody and her vehicle to do this. She was offered Indigenous Affairs and she rejected it. Why would she... 
and Indigenous women reject that. Really, that's the best you got, Sheila. Uh, we'll have to. Oh, I can't read the rest of that, <laughs> Trevor. And this, my feeling is Sheila Cop's approach to this is not going over very well with younger voters. The appearance of canning the dissenters because they don't toe the party yeah. line is messy, and they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. That from Vic. Uh, and this text: Does anyone think the cops? Oh, we're getting so many texts now. Does anyone think the cops uh, out of the public is still not deeply into politics today? Of course she is. And this, this sounds like liberal helping out other liberals. All bow down to the supreme leader, says Dylan. Uh... Gerald Butts um, expanded on the moment when Jody Wilson-Raybould, what he thought uh, when Jody Wilson-Raybould may have interpreted discussions to be pressure. So what exactly was staff talking to the minister about? We had a view which was informed by Department of Justice advice that it would be appropriate for her to seek independent advice from an eminent Canadian jurist or panel of jurists. We believe that this was appropriate, first, because the law empowering the Attorney General to use remediation agreements is new. Indeed, this was the first time that entering into a remediation agreement under the new regime was even possible. Second, we felt that outside advice was appropriate because of the extraordinary circumstances of a conviction. The fact that the company involved employs so many people across the country heightened the public importance of the matter. That was the entirety of our advice to the Attorney General, which we made clear she was free to accept or not. We also made clear that if the Attorney General accepted our proposal and took external advice, she was equally free to reject, reject or accept that advice. It was not about second-guessing the decision. It was about ensuring that the Attorney General was making her decision with the absolute best evidence possible. Fresh in our minds was a recent Federal Court of Appeal decision that had found that the government had not concluded consultation sufficiently in connection with the TMX pipeline. That was the substance of the discussions that the PMO had with the Attorney General and the Attorney General's office. When you boil it all down, all we ever asked the Attorney General to do was to consider a second opinion. Mm. All right, so I feel uh, as though before... And it's yeah, important ahead. to note that, um, you know, Butts wasn't under oath. No. I'm not sure that any of them... I don't think them, any of them have been. I don't think anyone has been in any of We the, can certainly ask that well, of no, the member when we get yeah, him at 3.30. Because I think if I, if I remember when I was watching it this morning that no one in the history has been. I think that's right. And uh, so he didn't either. They, uh, the, the liberal members of the Justice Committee uh, voted uh, down that and people are making all sorts of whatever yeah. out of that. So, so it, what it comes down to really is that he said, she said... Yes. And but there's a few major points that they that's really right. disagree on. So there's a, there's a he said, she said as to who said what and when and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And that's, you know, we'll... we'll the finality of the decision right. and the unwanted meetings pressure. Right. But I think it's important, again, because we're all now talking about... Um, something we'd probably most of us never heard of before these uh, remediation agreements and what exactly it it means or a DPA uh, deferred prosecution agreement so I just want to hear the facts again so that you just have all of them the rationale again for a deferred prosecution agreement is to prevent harm to, to stakeholders who are innocent so in other words uh, the senior officials of a company have done something terribly wrong and but if we prosecute and they're penalized with, in this case, say, a 10-year ban from federal 
federal projects, bidding on federal projects, or they move their head office out of Canada, that sort of thing, that it could affect people's jobs, of course, it could affect pensions, it could afford, uh, you know, it could affect people who had nothing to do with the wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea behind the DPA or the re- remediation. But and and yes, it was brought in as part of the budget, if I'm not mistaken, by the it was liberals. In the omnibus bill, right? So it was sort of hidden in there, which you know, it's kind of uh, you often governments will do that in order to avoid um, having it debated, because uh, you know it's sort of like the fine print, if you will, of a of a huge contract. But how do you become eligible? So here's how you become eligible as a company. And by the way, other countries do do this. Uh, in the United States, in fact, not only do they do it for companies, they do it for individuals, but it's also used elsewhere in the world. So it's not an invention of Canadians. It is. It has been done and, and been in use in the United States for a long, long time. But in order to qualify for a DPA or remediation agreement, companies need to be facing money-related offenses like bribery, corruption, or insider trading. So check that box. They cannot be used for offenses related to bodily harm, death, or when national defense or security has been compromised. Check that box. The Department of Justice's uh, website explains that public organizations such as government departments, trade unions, and municipalities are not eligible, so we can check that box. But what prosecutors look at, and what we assume they looked at in this particular case with SNC, they consider whether a company has admitted responsibility paid fines or taken disciplinary action against the employees involved in breaking the law and whether or not the company has any past legal woes is also weighed in and they look at whether or not from the time that it happened and in this case what 2011 is is you know it's 2007 to 2011 whether they've changed the culture of the company to stop operating in a criminal manner so pr- prosecutors looked at that in the case of N- SNC-Lavalin and did not agree that it met the mm-hmm. criteria. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where you, I don't know what more, more needs to be said at that point. It did not meet the criteria based on the people who analyzed it. So again, the question becomes, was there a criminal act here? We know there was a criminal, or were, we assume that there was a criminal act on the, beha- on the part of SNC-Lavalin. But was there a criminal act on behalf of the Prime Minister or members of his office? That's the question. And that's the question I want to ask the Honourable Member, when Michael Barrett, when we have him on. Mm-hmm. Because really, to me, it, honest to God, it doesn't matter if there was a criminal act. I think the Prime Minister acted incorrectly here. Um, unethically, honestly. But we do need to also answer the question, was it a criminal act? Because a criminal act carries with it, um, you know, more... Well, <laughs> obstruction. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that carries with it a, a greater penalty to the prime minister or, you know, if that's the case. My suspicions would be that we're going to conclude there was no criminal act. And then it will be up to Canadian voters to decide whether or not it was unethical enough that you've lost faith in your prime minister. I, I just... The one thing out of that Sheila Copps conversation that just sort of got my blood boiling a little bit, and I'm an old guy, is that it felt to me like that whole conversation centered around, aside from the distraction and the, the you know, the fizzle and, and sizzle, 
it was like, no, you guys just don't understand. Like, these ministers didn't understand politics. So by extension, what you're saying is, we don't understand politics. So we should just, you know, well, shut up and let politics be the way they've been. So before, before we went on air, we, we both went back and mm-hmm. we were, you know, listening to her comments over the past couple of days. She said, uh, Sheila Copps had said the Attorney General had never served a single day in her life in politics. Uh, and when you're put into a position like she was, that sometimes an entitlement perceptive, an entitlement of perception comes along. And that doesn't happen when um, you um, stand and work in the trenches for a long, long time. And Andrew and I have talked about this again numerous times on and off the air, is that when you know, you're putting together, when the Prime Minister is looking at something like putting together his cabinet, you take a look around and go, okay, I believe that that person um, you know, hopefully is, is the best person for the job. So was the mm-hmm. Prime Minister's decision to put her there yep. in the first place. Um, and and uh, so my, you know, the other question then and asked is that, well, shouldn't she have not been there in the first place? Did the Prime Minister then make a mistake based on what we're hearing mm-hmm. uh, from everyone? Um, she went on to say, and this is a quote, I wrote it down, part of the issue is the two of them have never been in heavy politics. Um, she said that they had a fantastic, Jody Wilson-Raybould had a fantastic reputation from her time in BC, that she was impressed by both of them, but when, when you're part of a team, you have to listen to others. I, I don't necessarily believe that Jody Wilson-Raybould, based on what I've heard, did not listen to others. I think she was listening to others, mm-hmm. but the others didn't like the decision that she had made. Yeah. And therefore, um, you know, was was you know coming under pressure, and they didn't like her answer. They didn't like it based on you know mm-hmm. they keep going back, and we heard butts over and over and over. I think I counted at least six, eight times. You know, bring up the jobs factor, the nine thousand jobs, mm-hmm. the nine thousand jobs, and we just go back to the question that Elizabeth May asked um, uh, Wernick, who is the privy council clerk, who's the highest. Civil civil servant. servant. Um, Did you do any studies to assess the job losses that would result from SNC prosecution? And he said no. No. So that would lead me to believe that that they simply took the word of SNC-Lavalin that if we get prosecuted, we're pulling out. That's right. And looking at the fact of elections and upcoming elections. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, since everyone's throwing distractions in, let me throw one more distraction for you. If at the end of the day you say that the job of the government is to protect jobs, that one of the jobs of the government is to protect jobs, and if you justify, if that's your stance, that you're justifying what happened here or the influence that was either there or not there on the former Attorney General to protect 9,000 jobs, then I want you to explain to me how you've not used that same pressure or influence to protect 10,000, 100,000 jobs in Alberta. How have you not used that same Well, influence? they would turn around and say, we bought a pipeline. Yeah, that's not good enough. <laughs> it's simply not good enough. We bought 4.5 billion, possibly more. We bought a pipeline. But, of course, then we have to get all of the, the hearings done properly, all the rest, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big process to taking a resource that's 
Canada's and getting it to the market. There's a big process mm -hmm. for that. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's apparently very little process when it comes to prosecuting a company that's been bribing uh, governments. And you know, I think, you know, I, again, we go back to those poll numbers and oh my gosh, we need to really yeah. take a break here. You take go back to those poll numbers and, you know, I know out here in Alberta uh, that we're often really, really ticked off by, you know, federal elections. Oftentimes it's done by the time the uh, voting closes in Ontario. Those recent numbers showing that the folks in Ontario, and especially that very vital 905 region around Toronto, is uh, not too impressed with the Liberals and the Prime Minister right now uh, as well. So I think we saw today the beginning of uh, some spin doctoring, a lot of spin doctor mm -hmm. by the Chief, and probably one of the best spin doctors out there. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the coming days. All right, a number of you asking why uh, Butts um, was not sworn in under oath today. I went back because I knew I, I'd heard this this morning, and it's just confirmed by uh, Mercedes Stevenson, who is... Um the uh, bureau chief for global on uh, Parliament Hill. So, and again, I go back to look at her tweets, and it says uh, committee begins with Conservative MP Cooper. So, Michael Cooper out here from St. Albert, uh, moving to have butts sworn in under oath. Cooper says this is in the hands of the Liberal majority of the committee. It was voted down by the Liberal majority, five to four. Um, and the chair of the Justi Justice Committee notes that it has been over 25 years since a witness was sworn in at committee. Right. Okay. So no one's been sworn in. No, I know there's a meme going around. And I, what have we said before? And I've had to tell myself this. Don't get your news from memes. Mm -hmm. Because there's this meme going around saying that he refused to uh, be sworn in. No one was sworn in. And just so you know, this is just coming in. Um, breaking statement from Jody Wilson-Raybould, who says she would make herself available to the committee <laughs> again. I'm sure she would. Because I, 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 she wasn't allowed to speak on anything that happened after... She was only allowed to speak on what happened during her time as Justice Minister. Mm -hmm. So nothing after that, and we heard Gerald Butts talk about her time after that. I think it's worth hearing from her on her time after that. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.